0: Welcome to this Peer Voice panel discussion on type 2 diabetes. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Professors Mansour Hussein and Nikolaus Marx. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials.
1: Hello, this is Nico Marx. I'm Professor of Medicine and Cardiology at the University Hospital in Aachen, Germany, and I'd like to welcome you to this activity. Titled Integrating GLP 1 Receptor Agonists into Our Cardiology Care Pathways Who, When, and Why. And joining me in this discussion is my dear friend and colleague Mansoor Hussein, Professor of Medicine and Cardiology at University of Toronto in Canada. And we begin the first presentation with a patient case. The patient is a 55 year old female physiotherapist with type 2 diabetes and coronary artery disease. She has an HbA1c of 7.1, one year ago and her current HbA1c is 8.2. She's taking metformin one gram twice daily and 10 milligram ampagliflozin once daily. She's a smoker. Her blood pressure is 148 over 95. She's taken for the blood pressure amlodipine and uh, twice daily and atorvastatin 40 milligrams to get her lipids down. And her concern is what benefits for diabetes and ASCVD. Mansoor, can you walk us through the relationship between type two diabetes and ASCVD? Because this lady has coronary artery disease, so she has ASCVD.
0: Thank you, Nico. Yeah, this is an excellent case uh, to uh, form the basis of our discussion. The event rates in people living with diabetes are 10 to 15 times higher than in the general population. This is, of course, the burden of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease in our patients with type 2 diabetes. And indeed, this is the leading cause of morbidity and mortality in our patients with type 2 diabetes. This is not just a stochastic yes-no relationship, it's a proportional relationship to how well the glycemia is controlled. Every 1% increase in hemoglobin A1c leads to a 21% rise in cardiovascular disease over an eight-and-a-half-year follow-up period, so very substantive risk. We try to examine what is the relationship between the number of risk factors and cardiovascular events as a function of BMI. So on the left, looking at coronary artery disease, and then on the right, looking at stroke, you'll appreciate that as we move from one to all three of these three risk factors, there is an increase in the event rates of these conditions. But the full story is that a substantial portion of the event rates of both coronary artery disease and stroke are not attributable to these three metabolic risk factors. They appear to be related to the underlying condition of being overweight or obese alone. Similar data were found in this large uh, population-based study. Now looking at overweight or obese individuals, as you move from normal weight to overweight, to obesity, all of the risks go up, suggesting that weight independent of these metabolic risk factors is another factor for us to consider. What do you think, um, Nico? this patient's cardiovascular risks are. What would the guidelines tell us regarding therapies in such a patient?
1: Thanks, Mansoor. So to address that question, um, let's look at the 2019 ESC guidelines on diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And as you can see here, patients with diabetes and established cardiovascular disease, like our patient, the lady with type two diabetes and coronary artery disease are considered patients at very high risk. Based on the risk, the presence of ASCVD being at very high risk, we have a clear recommendation that our patient needs an SGLT2 inhibitor or a GLP-1 re- receptor agonist based on the evidence from large cardiovascular outcome trials. Now our patient already has an SGLT2 inhibitor. And so here, she should receive a GLP-1 receptor agonist. These were the cardiology guidelines. What do the diabetes guidelines say? And this is the ADA EASD consensus document from last year. And as you can see on the left here, that patients with ASCVD have, are recommended to receive a GLP-1 receptor agonist with proven cardiovascular benefit, either or an SGLT2 inhibitor. So here, Cardiologists and diabetologists have the same recommendations and very important, this is independent of um, baseline HbA1c or other glucose-lowering treatment. So, Mansoor, we're having a patient at a very high risk. How can we reduce her risk?
0: Yes, Nico, this is, of course, the important therapeutic discussion that we have to have and you know several years ago before the availability of SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP1 receptor agonists lowering A1C had a very modest benefit on cardiovascular outcomes of course everything changed as you've already mentioned with the publication of the first cardiovascular outcome trials for the agents in these two classes on the left EMPA-REG outcome testing the ability of empagliflozin versus placebo in patients with type 2 diabetes and established cardiovascular disease, demonstrating very significant reductions in the three-point mace of CV death, non-fatal MI, and non-fatal stroke. And on the right, published just a few months later, was the LEADER study showing the GLP-1 receptor agonist liraglutide versus placebo having similar magnitude of benefit over long-term follow-up. I've circled there the differences in when these benefits begin to occur. And in the SGLT2 inhibitors, they appear very early and were driven by CV death. We believe also reductions in hospitalization for heart failure. And on the right in the leader study, it took a little bit longer for the curves to diverge. And this was an effect on CV death, but also on the atherothrombotic events. Indeed, the cardiovascular outcome trials of GLP-1 receptor agonists, of which there have now been many, as I've summarized in this slide, show a very consistent and robust benefit on three-point MACE, with reductions that on average are about 14% identical to what was seen in the original LEADER study. And what I think is very important is, is that there are some particular benefits, as this slide will show... There is a reduction in three-point mace, but also CV death and quite a robust reduction in stroke, an overall 16% reduction in the risk of stroke. Now, again, I talked about this a little bit earlier. What is the nature of where this benefit is coming from? These powerful drugs do lower A1C, they lower body weight, and they have small effects on blood pressure and lipids. Some of the studies that showed benefit actually had very little metabolic uh, uh, benefits uh, as part of uh, the study uh, end results.
1: So to summarize, GLP-1 receptor agonists reduce cardiovascular risk, most likely through a reduction in atherosclerosis-related events, as mentioned, Mansoor, by you concerning stroke and myocardial infarction, Modulation of severe risk factors alone seems unlikely to explain the beneficial effects observed in these trials. And GLP-1 receptor agonists are recommended to reduce cardiovascular risk in patients with ASCVD independent of glucose control. Hello,
0: this is Mansur Hussein, Professor of Medicine and Cardiology at University of Toronto in Canada. Welcome to our second presentation titled Navigating the Practical Implementation of GLP1 RAs in our cardiology patients with type 2 diabetes. Joining me in this discussion is my dear friend and colleague, Professor Nico Marx, med- in medicine and cardiology at the University Hospital in Aachen. Germany. Let's begin our discussion with a case. This is a 66-year-old man with type 2 diabetes, obesity, and established cardiovascular disease. He's a retired teacher. His BMI is 31. He's been living with di- diabetes for 10 years. Our question today is will he benefit from a GLP-1 receptor agonist? Let's examine his data. He had his MI two years ago and is on aspirin 81 milligram daily. His current A1C is 7.4% while taking metformin 1000 milligrams twice daily. His blood pressure is not quite tightly controlled, 144 on 65 millimeters of mercury, on multiple agents an angiotensin receptor blocker, a calcium channel blocker, and a beta blocker. He's also on a statin and his current laboratory tests show mild chronic kidney disease with EGFR 42 and microalbuminuria more than 9 nanograms per millimolar. There are some other clinical concerns of importance. He is afraid of needles. He's also had hypoglycemia previously when taking a sulfonylurea. He wants to lose weight and he wants benefits for his atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. Finally, there's a strong family history of stroke. Nico, what would the guidelines tell us about using a GLP-1 receptor agonist in such a patient?
1: Well, Manzurt, a patient with a like our patient, is at very high risk and it is recommended as a class one recommendation to treat this this gentleman with an SGLT2 inhibitor or a GLP-1 receptor agonist. All patients with cardiovascular disease should be screened for the presence of diabetes, while patients with diabetes should be evaluated for the presence of cardiovascular disease, because if both comorbidities come together, these patients exhibit an elevated risk for three-point maize, for example, but also for heart failure. And here, given the new evidence, the, we have now four columns to reduce cardiovascular risk antiplatelet therapy, lipid lowering, and blood pressure lowering. This was already established, but now the fourth column is treatment with the GLP1 receptor agonist or an SGLT2 inhibitor. Let's look at GLP1 receptor agonist. These agents have effects on risk factors. They lower glucose, they lower weight, and they lower blood pressure with a robust reduction in three point maize, but also a reduction in myocardial infarction, in stroke and cardiovascular death as shown in meta-analyses of these trials. So the patient profile, and that's where our patient exactly fits in, is a patient with type two diabetes with AACVD who is overweight or obese and has a high risk of stroke, which is certainly true for this gentleman. When treating patients with GLP-1 receptor agonists, it's important to become familiar with some of the aspects here. And these are the drugs currently available, and some of the drugs have to be given on a daily basis, while others, for example, dulaglutide or semaglutide, can be given uh, once weekly. All of these drugs are subcutaneous drugs, but there's one drug, semaglutide, that can also be given as a tablet. These drugs have certain side effects and the most common side effects when starting treatment is nausea and some patients experience vomiting and therefore it is important to start with a low dose and up titrate slowly. One may consider symptomatic therapy, thus giving a proton pump inhibitor and we counsel patients that these side effects are only transient Like our patient, if someone is afraid of injections, you may consider the oral available semaglutide here. Mansoor, can you describe some of the non glucose lowering effects with GLP-1 receptor agonists?
0: Yes, thank you, Nico. You know, the first and important criteria for our patient who wanted to lose weight was um, the ability of such a drug to affect weight loss. And we have good data both on short-acting but even better data on the longer-acting data shown here, for example, with oral semaglutide in the hatched yellow bar or with subcutaneous semaglutide in the tan-colored bar of significant reductions in weight versus baseline, between four to seven kilogram weight reductions over the relatively short periods of follow-up of these studies. Here, in terms of both traditional and non-traditional biomarkers of cardiovascular risk. On the left, epicardial fat has emerged as an important biomarker of cardiovascular risk. And uh, we look here on the right that liraglutide causes large and rapid reductions in epicardial fat and other deposits of visceral fat in our patients. Here on the left, an improvement in endothelial function versus placebo which was not observed with similar glycemic reductions with glimepiride. So this is not a blood sugar effect. In fact, these are often euglycemic effects, a direct effect on vasodilation. On the right-hand side, you see reductions in C-reactive protein, a biomarker of systemic inflammation in patients with both normal and elevated liver function abnormalities uh, when treated with the uh, semaglutide as a GLP-1 receptor agonist. And then over the longer term, in this very interesting study of patients undergoing carotid endarterectomy, when we remove the carotid plaque uh, after surgery and examine it histologically, patients who were taking an incretin therapy actually had less inflammation, less oxidative stress, and better collagen content than diabetic patients not on an incretin. Here is a small but important real-world study from colleagues in Italy that looked at the initiation of liraglutide on top of metformin in patients with type 2 diabetes and then examined their carotid intima media thickness over four months, demonstrating a reduction In the physical presence of atherosclerosis in our patients. So, Nico, in your practice for managing such a patient, how would you optimize communication with other members of the patient care team about their diabetes management and our proposal to start GLP-1 receptor agonists?
1: Well, in our cardiology university department, we established what we call the Aachen Cardiology Approach So we are seeing about 17,000 patients a year and we screen all patients hospitalized in the department for diabetes. We measure HbA1c and if HbA1c is 6.5 or above and fasting plasma glucose 126 or above, the diagnosis of diabetes is made and we start treating them. We give clear recommendation that someone with ASCVD should receive a GLP-1 receptor agonist. And so these cards make sure that everybody um, has the information and uses this information um, to make sure that patients receive the appropriate treatment. In our country, GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2 inhibitors are only approved um, together with metformin. So we start a low dose of metformin and start one of these drugs. And here in this gentleman, we would certainly give a GRP1 receptor agonist based on the effects that you're showing.
0: I really admire your approach in Aachen. That's, that, that's really wonderful with the white pocket card. You know, why multidisciplinary care is needed is because diabetes is a multi-organ disease. And our colleagues in nephrology in this case that we presented would be Im- important to follow the chronic kidney disease the albuminuria of course our colleagues in endocrinology will be of great assistance in managing any future episodes of hypoglycemia uh, and uh, us in cardiology you know we don't want this patient to have another cardiovascular event so uh, a screening which your uh, your institution has is done universally is is absolutely agree with that. We do that as well. And then aggressive risk factor modification, right down to targets with all of the risk factors. So to summarize, cardiologists should be implementing evidence-based therapies to reduce cardiovascular risk in our patients with type 2 diabetes and initiating GLP-1 receptor agonists to avoid treatment delays and ensure that these high-risk patients receive appropriate evidence-based treatments as early as possible. It's important to work together with a multidisciplinary team in patients with chronic kidney disease, involve a nephrologist, in patients with complicated diabetes, involve our endocrinology colleagues. But I would stress perhaps that you don't wait to involve these people. You begin the therapies and then include them because you've started on an evidence-based path that they will then follow along with us. Well, that concludes our presentation and thank you for participating. Thank you for joining us here.
1: This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.